All right, here we go. everybody to this episode of podcasting in paradise the aspirationally second best uh at best uh jimmy buffett listen along podcast uh, my name is cameron and i'm here with uh acclaimed playwright uh uh, uh polyglot uh prince and parrot head padawan joe how are you Good to be here for another week. And I, I knew most of those words. And I think <laughs> I, I trust they were complimentary. Oh, yes. Oh, of course. Um, uh, that was mixed Star Wars and Jimmy Buffett reference uh, for all of the people that that connects with. Um, Joe, um, we listened to um, an album today uh, by Mr. Um, you know, James Billy Buffett. Um, called a white sport coat and a pink crustacean. Um, Correct. And uh, you know this is considered the opening salvo of the um, storied mustache era of Jimmy Buffett. We are in the mustache era. We've entered into the, a prime period in the Jimmy Buffett catalog, right? We sure have. I mean, this is the beginning of the Coral Reefer band. Um, hey, by the way, Joe. Did you know that was a reference to drugs? Coral reef. Well, I know about the famous coral reef in Australia, but uh, oh, wait a second. Yeah, he does. He did it again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Another drug reference. Reefer, so of course. <laughs> well, okay. Before, before we get started talking about a uh, white sport coat and a pink crustacean, I, I, I think it's uh, we should take some time to mention the fact that we are recording this on. Well, my time here in China, it's uh, December 27th. I believe over there, it's the evening of December 26th, right? Boxing Day Eve. Yep. Okay. So we've just passed a, a very important date on the calendar. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Cameron, but on this day, on this day, a very, or uh, yesterday, December 25th, mm -hmm. a very important, influential figure was born who would irrevocably change the world. And that person, Jesus Jimmy Christ. Buffett. Oh, oh, well. Jesus, no, I mean, Jesus Christ, I'm not familiar. <laughs> but, but Jimmy Buffett was also born today. As we'll find out on one of uh, 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 Jimmy Buffett's uh, next albums, um, he's not a huge fan of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I think Jim, Jimmy Buffett might be trying to stay in uh, Jesus's lane. You know, you look at the hair, you look at the stash, and you think, well, if Jesus came back in the 70s, would he not be yeah. Jimmy Buffett? Yeah, and it's always hard to share a birthday with somebody, you know. It, <laughs> it, it dilutes the amount of presents you get yourself. So I can see why there'd be some rivalry there. Now, Absolutely. Jesus, he was a contemporary of Jimmy Buffett? Again, um, I'm not familiar. Okay, well, let's see. It's 2020. Um, so the world began approximately... 2020 years ago 
James William Buffett the third, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see, he was born something like 74, 75 years ago. I think they might have some slight overlap right in the middle, actually, if I'm okay. not mistaken. Yeah. So they are historical um, contemporaries, but they may not have known each other. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to go back and research that a little bit. Um, and actually, maybe uh, uh, James William Buffett um, uh, would be able to tell us precisely because uh, he did receive a full parochial education, I learned. Uh, Joe, I'm going to drop a lot of facts on you today because I just started reading the most recent biography. Of so I, I, I toyed with the idea of reading a biography myself, but I figured that the, this, this show of ours would work better if I knew less. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to be too knowledgeable. So I just, outside of like the, the Wikipedia research I've been doing, I haven't really been doing a whole lot of outside research. However, I did realize uh, that we, we did make some big oversights. In my research this week, I realized we made some major oversights uh, in the last album that we discussed. So uh, are, if you, I may, are you saying those two Wikipedia articles weren't complete? <laughs> we didn't get no, off there was actually some additional information outside of Wikipedia. Huh. Uh, that that uh, that we that we overlooked and and some of these things are are relatively minor but some of them are pretty major so I think hmm. we should start off today's show by doing some addendums to our last episode. Here it is, addendums, and then we'll put in music right. right here. Okay, we'll do some addendums. All right, so I'm going to go in order. I have three addendums here, and I'm going to go in order from minor to major. Okay. The so number one, and the first one doesn't have anything to do with Jimmy Buffett. Uh, I realized listening back to the last episode that I talked a lot about Joni Mitchell. I think I mentioned Joni sure Mitchell did. three times. I am a big fan of Joni Mitchell. And I um, even put her on the Mount Rushmore of great American singer-songwriters. Mm, but it was which only also later. included, I believe, Paul McCartney. Uh, yeah, Paul McCartney. Yeah, an American. Uh, Joni yeah. Mitchell, an American. Jimmy Buffett, an American. And I wrote the fourth one was. Uh, I can't quite remember who the fourth one was either. But it turns out that uh, Joni Mitchell is not American. She, uh, like many people who we think are American, was actually born in Canada. Well, Joe. So that means we have an empty spot. (laughs) We have an empty spot on the Mount Rushmore. I guess we could put Paul. Wait. No, we already have Paul. I'm going to put. I'm going to put. He's an American, by the way. I'm going to put Cat Stevens on there. I'm going to put Cat Stevens on there. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean. Well, it, of course, now, uh, audience going by Yusuf, Yusuf Islam, probably you know him uh, by that name better. Um, but of course, all-American, um, huge, 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 huge American uh, superstar, as well as Paul McCartney. Um, I was going to say, we could put on Bob Dylan, but like, really, like, I don't know, how much did he write? Yeah. yeah. He's from Minnesota, too. That's my, That might as well oh, be Oh, that's Canada. basically Canada. Oh, yeah. No, he's yeah. In. Okay. Yeah. But uh, Cat Stevens, absolutely um, all-American. Okay, well, um, Joe, did you know that uh, Jimmy Buffett is third-generation Canadian? Is that right? His father was from Nova Scotia. Uh, That's Captain James Buffett, uh, the first of his name. Do you think he's the the captain from the Captain and the Kids song? Joe, you're right. That's exactly what it is. Um, That song was written in memoriam of his grandfather, who passed away. Yeah, it seemed like a very personal song. Now, I'm going to ask another question. He's a third-generation Canadian. Was his father also a sailor? His father was not only a sailor. Actually, do you want to hear some fun facts about his grandfather real quick? Yes. 
Okay. Um, this is all pulled from that autobiography. Um, the name of it, and I'm blanking on the author's name, so sorry. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but wait, it's, uh, a, wait, it's an auto. It's an autobiography. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, he does have an autobiography though called A Pirate. Okay. Um, yeah, I was gonna say if it's an autobiography, I could probably guess who the author is. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, uh, the author would obviously be Marvin Gardens, um, which we'll talk about later in this episode as well. Um, I, know, I know what you're talking about, Marvin yeah. Gardens. <laughs> um, no, the author's name I'm blanking on, but the title of it is Jimmy Buffett, A Good Life All the Way, um, written in 2017. And I will put the name in the show notes. Um, good autobiography. So Captain James Buffett, grandfather of Jimmy Buffett, um, was uh, born in Nova Scotia and escaped somewhere between the ages of 13 and 16 uh, from coal mining <laughs> and wow. got on a boat. Uh, sailed it down to Mississippi um, and started a pretty lucrative uh, uh, life as a captain. Now, he did a whole bunch of stuff, but one of the things that I want to highlight uh, for you is a ship. His last ship that he had was called the Chiquimula, uh, originally built for the uh, United Fruit Company um, to be uh, launched out of Seattle um, and do business for them. Uh, it eventually ended up in the hands of James Buffett, uh, who sailed the thing for uh, the better part of three decades. Now, um, the Chiquimula um, currently lies at the bottom of Pascagoula Harbor because in 1953, um, a quote unquote fire of unknown origin uh, took it and sent it down sea. But that isn't, uh, uh, this doesn't mean that it was a perfect ship for them because sometime a couple decades before that, um, Jimmy Buffett, uh, excuse me, Captain James Buffett uh, sailed that ship through a hurricane uh, off the coast of Cuba um, and wow. said something to the effect in a later interview, quote, um, well, I guess not a quote because I'm absolutely paraphrasing and butchering what he said. Um, he said, uh, uh, um, hmm. well, I probably should have had this story straight in my head before I started telling you. <laughs> he said, oh, he said, uh, it took on so much water that it stained the planks and it has had a leak ever since that day. So for Wait, 18 so years. Was, yeah, I was going to ask, how long was he sailing that thing out? It's like 18 years, I think. <laughs> So when it says a fire of unknown origin, look, I'm not saying that Captain James Buffett did it intentionally. I'm just saying that he got a payout from the insurance company. Yeah. <laughs> and it was leaking anyway. Yeah. It's probably pretty um, hard to start a fire on a leaking boat. <laughs> yeah, that's why it was unknown origin. Must have been, a, must have been an act of God, Joe. Um, yeah. Anyway, Joe, you have some more addendums. And I'm really worried because that first one you said was minor. But uh, I'm pretty shook up by the fact that Joey Mitchell's not an American. I know it's 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 pretty shocking, uh, and it may it may cause me to rethink my fandom of her. <laughs> so, okay, so this next one it's a pretty dumb addendum on our part, um, and it's going to I think show I, I, this is not going to play well with uh, with the people in uh, the flyover states. Uh, we we were speculating last time about uh, what the Cumberland in High Cumberland Jubilee was in reference to. And we postulated that it was somewhere in England. Obviously. Um, well, it turns out the Cumberland River, it's, a, it's an estuary of the Mississippi River that runs through Nashville. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so it's like a big, hmm. it's like a big like central river that runs through Nashville. Um, Home of country music. I am going to disagree. <laughs> you disagree with the, the name of the river or the, the fact that uh, that's what he was naming his album after. Uh, the latter. Uh, obviously, this uh, album was set in the Murky British past, so it's in England. I don't <laughs> know what you know. Look, 
I'm sorry that he was recording in Nashville at the time. I'm sorry that uh, that's a coincidence. Um, flyover states, you know, call me a coastal elite, but I just don't think that it exists in Nashville. You know? Um, yeah. Actually, I have a, a side note to that. Speaking of Nashville, okay. um, I got some of an explanation for why High Cumberland Jubilee didn't come out for quite a while. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. So the original two albums, Down to Earth and High Cumberland Jubilee, were originally uh, recorded in a studio uh, that was known in Nashville for doing knockoffs of hit uh, singles. So they would look at the charts for Billboard, they would uh, immediately record it with uh, sound-alikes, and then use progressive (laughs) salesmen to push those singles uh, out to the public uh, at half the price of the actual single. Um, He recorded his first two albums there. Um, and then working with a guy who was a contributor on the album we're going to discuss, discuss today, Buzz Kaysan, um, who was sort of, I guess, his like publisher, I guess, was the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a deal with a company, some New York bigwigs, and they re-recorded it in a real Nashville studio, released Down to Earth, uh, which fell very flat, partially because of the first track, The Christian, which did have a mm-hmm. question mark, and it was a problem. Uh, turns out people weren't willing to... Uh, roll with the uh, heresy right off the bat in track one. Uh, ah. But the guy whose name was Peterson, I forget, who was handling the production of the second album, basically after Down to Earth came out and fell flat, he told Jimmy, hey man, I just had a kid, he's eight months old, me and my wife were going to LA, sorry. And he split. So when they went looking for the master copies so they could push the album out, they couldn't find the master tracks. It appears that this guy took him to LA uh, and then the really interesting part is that he sent his wife back in less than a year and <laughs> basically abandoned his family and stayed home. Uh, Sounds like a cool guy. Never came out. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wait. So 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 was was that was High Cumberland Jubilee meant to be like an album of like knockoff hits? High Cumberland Jubilee. Just... No, no, I don't. I don't think it was an album of knockoff hits. It was. Uh, it was just being recorded by a guy who specialized in that. That that studio was known. That's that was his reputation. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. That last, my last addendum. Oh God, I'm scared. This is a big one. This is a big yeah. one. I'm really big oversight. Too. Yeah. Yeah. This is a big oversight on our part. So. Okay. When we listen to Captain America on on Down to Earth. Something was sticking with me about that song. Like something was, I, I got that little tingling feeling in the back of my head. Like I've heard, I, this is familiar to me. Uh-oh. And I thought, and I was, and I, and I, and, and I was thinking, oh, this kind of sounds like a Simon and Garfunkel song, but that's not what it was. Okay. And I didn't realize until after we recorded the episode that the part that stuck with me was the line about the, the Oki from Muskogee. Oh, okay. Okay. And where's that from? So, okay. There was a song by Merle Haggard. Uh, and it, was, it was a big hit song and he recorded it in 1969. So this would have been like on the top of like the country charts. It's one of Merle Haggard's biggest hits. And it would have been like on the country charts as Jimmy Buffett was writing and recording Down to Earth. And I'm, I would like us to hear like maybe like the first few lines of that song right now because I think it'll put uh, the song Captain America into a little bit more context. Absolutely. So, what's what's uh, the name of the song? It's called Oki from Muskogee. And again, uh, don't come after us, people from 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 Nashville, but or 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 uh, uh, Mississippi, where, which is where I think Muskogee is located. 
Uh, but uh, mm, or no, it's from Oklahoma. Go. Oklahoma. Mm. I don't know how to spell Muskogee. Well, Joe, I hate to break it to you, but I, I think Muskogee's in Wales, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> it's a Welsh town. All right. Um, we're listening to Merle Haggard, the Oki from Muskogee. We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee We don't take our trips on LSD We don't burn our draft cards down on Main Street Cause we like living right and being free We don't make well, so uh, what do you think of those lyrics? Well, Joe, I don't know if you caught it, but I think those were references to drugs again. Yeah. <laughs> these ones are not too subtle. These are these are pretty explicit uh, 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 drug references. But uh, it was this is a song that became a big hit uh, with the anti-war counter protesters during uh, during the Vietnam War era. Because it was a song about, you know, it was a song basically deriding the lifestyle of hippies. We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. We don't take uh, trips on LSD. We like living right and living free. So Merle Haggard actually met Jimmy Buffett in 1972 as Jimmy was wow. uh, leaving Key West to just like run around, get his name out. He was being represented by a, a gospel uh, manager. Uh, uh-huh. and uh, they were just trying to get him played on radio. Uh, uh, this is sort of the context leading up to the album we're discussing today, Pink Crustaceans. Yeah. Um, by the way, were you surprised there was no Pink Crustaceans in this album? You mean like they, they didn't talk about Pink Crustaceans? Because there definitely was one on the cover. Joe, I think I missed it. You didn't see the Pink Crustacean on the cover? Well, we'll get into that when we review the cover, but... Um, okay. This is an interesting uh, connection, Joe. Uh, there so, you go. There's a little bit of music connectivity. So, but it's it's a, it's like he's name checking Merle Haggard lyrics in his song because Captain America, he says, uh, as we remember from from last week's episode of Two Flip Flops and a Pop Top, that mm. Captain America, uh, he's hip, and he cannot dig the Okie from Muskogee. So Jimmy Buffett is saying. Uh, in our hero, Captain America, he is not down with uh, this Okie from Muskogee that uh, Merle Haggard is referencing. So Jimmy Buffett, the apolitical Jimmy Buffett, very much aligning himself with the war protest movement. Well, what we've learned, uh, what I've learned anyway, from reading this biography, um, uh-huh. as the, as the uh, biography reader of, the, of this duo, um, mm-hmm. as we've established, <laughs> um, uh, he was actually sort of trying to pose himself a little bit within that hippie protest movement uh, with those first. And I'm wondering two, uh, if that's boys. why. I'm wondering if that's why the two, the the, the first album was not popular, because he well, he's appealing to country audiences, but the country audiences either prefer their music to be apolitical or, you know, not politically aligned with the left. Especially the Nashville audience, absolutely the Nashville establishment. Yeah. We'll get into some of that tension too in this album as well. Um, but uh, yes, no, that was part of it. It came out a year too late, you know? He yeah. missed, if it came out in 69, it would have been a bigger hit. And I think that's kind of what 
caught people off guard about uh, the lack of success in it because it turns out uh, most of the people who wrote about the album when it came out thought it was going to be a hit and it just fell flat. Um, mm-hmm. fun, another fun fact, while in Nashville, uh, Jimmy Buffett made a living writing for Billboard. Writing for Billboard? Yeah, he, was, he, wrote, he wrote reviews for Nashville. He was a copywriter. Uh, things, yeah, he was a copywriter. Um, his wife, uh, who may or may not have been a high-priced uh, call girl in New Orleans when he met her. Uh, <laughs> okay. Unclear. I don't want to slander Margie's name, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Uh, short-lived marriage. He, uh, or she, after he left her somewhere around 72, 73 officially, um, she actually became one of the talent bookers for the Johnny Cash show in Nashville. Wow. Okay. So there's an outlaw country connection. Absolutely. Very much an outlaw country connection with this album we're going to talk about today. And I'm Uh, I'm really excited to, uh, to get into those connections there. All right, Joe. Well, I'm excited too. Well, thank you for those addendums. Uh, I feel like we have rectified uh, any false uh, statements we may have made, proving once again that we are the second most authoritative Jimmy Buffett Listen Along podcast uh, at best. Yeah, and hopefully um, we don't get, hopefully uh, people wait till the second episode to post their angry comments about oh, the stuff that we missed. This is a good point, folks. If you listen to the second episode and you are now listening to this episode, first of all, do you need help? Because we <laughs> can get you help. But second, I very much appreciate uh, the fact that you're still here. Um, and uh, <laughs> that was almost a reference to a lyric. Um, did, so, did people listen to the first episode? <laughs> uh, so far, according to my data, nine people have listened to this episode, Joe. So get ready to be famous. So I wanted just to just say briefly, because we, we, we posted the first episode uh, you know, a couple days before recording this one, and both Cameron and I uh, posted like ads for it on our Instagram feed, yeah. and and I was I was looking like through my my history, and my uh, my post, you know, it was sandwiched between like like engagement announcements and like pregnancy announcements from people that I went to high school and college with, you know, cause like, you know, we're in our late twenties, early thirties. A lot of the people we went to high school and college with are now like having families and babies and all that stuff, like really big, important life milestones. And I was posting an announcement for like this podcast that I started. With another white man. Uh, with another white guy. Yeah. And if you look at my Instagram feed, it's like, it's like an announcement for a podcast with like a bunch of pictures of my dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no kids. Luckily, I am married. If I wasn't married, it would be really pathetic. Hmm. I'm going to just like let that single, statement sit there for a second. <laughs> think about like if it I was a single because... guy, like with just like a bunch of pictures of my dogs and my podcast on my Instagram feed. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just how we would know you were an absolute legend. Uh, total, total stick. Cool guy. Uh, cool guy. Um, Joe, we were just talking about lyrics, and I think you know what that means. Oh, it's time for another round of two flip flops and a pop top. Here we go. All right, Joe, it's two flip-flops and a pop-top, and for you and all the listeners out there who can't quite remember, this is a game 
that we play at the top of every episode where I test Joe's remembrance of lyrics that he just listened to. That's in each set of questions, there's going to be two flip-flops, or two sets of lyrics from the Jimmy Buffett album we just listened to, and one pop-top. And that pop-top is not from Jimmy Buffett at all. So, Joe, are you ready? Yeah, I, w- I was not ready for this last time, but I've, I've had some time to prepare this time. I, I saw it coming. I'm so pretty I should do better. This one, this one has some uh, legendary lyrics, so I think you'll be able to get it. All right, here we go. Okay. Two flip-flops and a pop-top. Question number one. A. People in the world try to make ends meet. You try to ride car, train, bus, or feet. I said you got to work hard to want to compete. Or is it B? It was a two-man operation. Had it all down on a note. Ricky would watch that big round mirror, and I'd fill up my coat. Or was it C? I really do appreciate the fact that you're sitting here. Your voice sounds so wonderful, but your face don't look too clear. Which of these is the pop top? All right. Well, I was tempted to I was tempted to choose A as mm. being a flip flop. Uh, I wasn't sure, but I was like, oh, is that a line from the Railroad Lady song? Mm. But I, but the B and C are very clear, right? Mm. B is definitely from the Peanut Butter Conspiracy. Mm. Uh, and C is definitely from uh, the song, uh, Why Don't We Get Drunk? <laughs> and? And, 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 and expletives. I don't know if okay. I can say it on this podcast. Yeah, I almost, almost trapped you with that one, Joe. I almost got him, guys. <laughs> we could have sent him right to jail, Joe. You're canceled already. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, Joe, uh, you are correct. Uh, you did indeed yes. identify the pop top. You have not cut your deal. You do not have to go home. Um, do you want to guess uh, the band that made this? Because I'm blanking on the uh, actual song. People in the world try to make ends meet. You try and write a car, trust me. Uh, I said you go to work hard if you want to compete. I don't know why I'm thinking this is like a like a Tower of Power song. Is this a Tower of Power song? Uh, you're you're a little bit uh, early, uh, but but I can see where you would get that. No, this is a Run DMC. Run DMC. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, number two, two flip tops and a pop top. This is A, and the ladies aren't demanding there. They never ask too much, but when you're coming off a cold love, that's sure a nice warm touch. Or is it B? I trade my soul for a witch, pennies and dimes for a kiss, but I wasn't looking for this, but now you're in my way. Or is it C, somehow we survive the double talk and jive. Things are looking better all the time. I owe her all I can because she made me understand the simple way that we should live our lives. Joe, don't step on the pop top. <laughs> Shit. none of these look familiar to me uh all right so i'm gonna do i'm gonna do like the old like that like the uh oh i I guess oh did you hear a scream is your domestic situation stable joe are you okay well obviously i'm not beating my wife because i'm here right so Uh, I got an alibi. Uh, Joe is very much on camera. Uh, in I'm on camera. <laughs> My wife just screamed in the background. I I trust that she's still alive. I'm maybe like one of the dogs bit her or something. I don't know. Oh well, uh, Joe, there's priorities. We're in the middle of recording, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll wait till the commercial break to check on her. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
he's fine. Uh, so I'm gonna do like the old, like like when I would get nervous when I didn't know a test answer and say like, okay, it's not gonna be A twice in a row. Mm. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna eliminate A. Bold of you, I suppose, both being teachers. You know, maybe yes. I knew that you would go for that. Yeah, maybe. Uh, C, I want to say that C is from like that, that really sentimental uh, uh, song from the end of the album where he was talking about his, his lovely lady. Mm. And I'm going to say B is the pop top. Joe, I got something to say to you. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's two yesters for you, Joe, because you got them both right. Oh. No pop top today. <laughs> I thought I was wrong because I saw you like had the peanut butter conspiracy up there, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna play a line from the peanut butter conspiracy. I did. I played two lines. Yesterday, yesterday. Yeah, that's two yesters. But he's gonna show me. He's gonna show me how the pop top that I chose was from that song. No, it was not. No. Uh, this uh, lyric B is actually from uh, the Carly Rae Jepsen hit, Call Me Maybe. Um, so, Joe, it uh, looks like you are the champion of not stepping on the pop tops. That was two flip flops and a pop top. Thanks for listening. That was a good round of two flip-flops and a pop-top. Now, Joe, um, I want to set something up here because we're about to talk about this album. But before we do, I have one more thing on the lyrics. Mm -hmm. One of these songs, the lore behind the writing of the lyrics is that Jimmy Buffett, the first day he arrived in Key West, having fled Nashville from his terrible wife, who was also, mm -hmm. by the way, um, Miss USS Abraham, was a supermodel, if you consider that supermodel, and I don't know uh, what that means, Miss USS Abraham, but that's what she was. Wait, his wife was Miss USS Abraham? Yep. So what is the, so was she know. a crew member on the ship and, and competing for like a beauty pageant among the other female crew members? Joe, I don't know. I just wanted to tell <laughs> what does you. that mean? Anyway, he was okay. running away from her. The first night he arrived in Key West, he met up with some musician and art types and a wow. cool gal. And uh, they had a few drinks, maybe a, uh, a couple of rums or some Añejo mm -hmm. or perhaps a tequila gimlet um, or several. Anyway, he ended up blackout drunk and he woke up in a strange woman's apartment. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That morning she said, one of the it, songs? it's the inspiration one of the songs. She said, it's all right. And they got on the famous Key West Conch train. And it was in that moment on that train that he wrote the song. Now, Joe. Mm-hmm. Do you want to lock in a guess for what song was inspired by that event? A strange hookup in the first night in the town with some hair of the dog is it, after? Is it a song from this album? It sure is. It's got to be Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw, right? Like, we'll lock like that in. Okay, I'm going to lock that in. The fact that it's so obvious makes me nervous, though. <laughs> yeah, it should. Um, <laughs> so um, that we'll just keep that in mind. One of those songs is inspired by that event. It might not be the one that you think. Is it Railroad Lady? Because they were on All a right. train? Well, we'll get there. Um, I can't Joe, change my answer, I guess. Okay. You sure can't. You're stuck. So, Joe, this album, uh, White uh -huh. Sport Coat, Pink Crustacean, you know, the context for it 
is uh, he's just he's just he's leaving Nashville. He's got this recording deal that he's more or less given up because the guy ran out on him. Uh, he has an album published and another one ready to go, right? Mm-hmm. And he gives it all up to hitchhike, hitchhike down to the southernmost city in the United States and uh, basically just play a bunch of bars for a year. He, he gambled on himself. He gambled on himself uh, and just got real drunk and had uh, punch spiked with LSD and smoked more uh, weed than uh, was allowable or advisable, uh, got on a bad catamaran and uh, shunted out to sea on a bad current and then had to... Uh, uh, under the influence, find his way back. I mean, this guy was just a rambunctious fellow, and it's also where he met most of the members of what would become the core of the Coral Reefer Band. And he comes up with this thing called uh, White Sport Coat and Pink Station. So, Joe, I think it's time for an album art review. Okay. Well, first of all, do you know? Uh, do you know where the title? Because I actually know this. Do you know where the title uh, of this album came from? Well, Joe, I haven't gotten to that chapter in the biography, so no, I don't. <laughs> okay. So, uh, white sport coat in a pink uh, crustacean. It's a play on, um, and I think this is the first example of something that would become, uh, based on the titles that I've seen of Jimmy Buffett albums, it's very common for him. He's actually referencing another song by another artist, which was like a 1950s country hit. <laughs> Yeah, there is a, in fact, you might want to look it up right now. There is a, a very famous uh, country hit. I forget who the artist was uh, in the 50s called uh, White Sport Coat in a Pink Carnation. Uh, Joe, that's a play on words. It's a play on words. Yeah. He, which he I think carnation's more about the ocean. I know. Yeah. So he's taking a, something that would have been in the vocabulary of country music bands and uh, and he's oh yeah there he is marty robbins marty robbins uh look at that. 1957 hit white sport coat and a pink carnation and i have not heard the song uh so i don't know what it sounds like because i uh, i'm not a fan of like country music from the 50s well i guess we could figure it out right now but this is a jimmy buffett podcast so we'd have to do a different podcast to show that one so we, we <laughs> as you know we never play music that isn't jimmy buffett on this podcast we certainly have not done that before. No, I. So we, we wouldn't want to start a precedent doing that now. Yeah, no, that would be terrible. I, I mean, okay. <laughs> I know what you guys want. You guys want Jimmy Buffett. You're not here for 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 Merle Haggard, you know, or the Beatles, or, or the Beatles, or Simon and Garfunkel. I mean, you he, Jimmy Buffett gives you all of that all day. Anyway, Joe, you were saying. Yes. All right. So, uh, taking a look at this uh, cover, the cover of this album white sport coat and a pink crustacean. You, you look at this cover and right away you're thinking, okay, now uh, we're getting into the Jimmy Buffett that we would be more familiar with. First of all, the mustache is there. We are in the mustache era. Uh, he is sitting mustache on- Mustache folks, it's the mustache era. <laughs> he's sitting on some crates. They look like lobster crates. Uh, he's in a marina next to a rusty boat. He has a, a cowboy hat on with a Hawaiian shirt and, of course, a white sport coat. And Wait, Joe, you look, are you saying yeah. that Jimmy Buffett is the pink crustacean? Because I didn't see a pink crustacean. Well, I think, that, I think that has to do with your eyesight because if you look mm. at the top of the lobster crate, there is a, there's a 
what appears to be a crab or a lobster. Now, Joe, I think you're playing a joke on me because Jimmy Buffett is sitting on top of the lobster crate. Now, Joe, are you yeah. telling me once and for all that Jimmy Buffett is an actual crustacean? Yes, I think that he is is a pink crustacean who is disguising himself as a human being. So he's a he is a pink crustacean wearing a white sport coat. And really, I mean, what are us humans? What are us human beings? Uh, if not for, you know, pink crustaceans who are trying to disguise ourselves through the use of worldly things such as white sport coats. Mm. Mm. So I think he's saying, he's, he's giving the message here symbolically that all of us people, all of us human beings are nothing more than pink crustaceans uh, in white sport coats. Well, if that's the case, I've got a lot of different thoughts about the song He Went to Paris because I'm pretty sure they have an anti- uh, arthropod bias in their immigration policies, but I just got to brush up on that anyway. Okay. Um, any other thoughts about this album cover? Uh, this is a timeless look from Jimmy Buffett. I, I think that uh, <laughs> if you were to wear an outfit like this today, uh, it would be just as fashionable now as it was in 1973 when he first, especially the 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 popped collar, like the, the thing that they yeah. used to do where they, they put the collar on the outside of the sport coat. Yes. Timeless. Yes. Look. Hot. Hot. Also, he's More barefoot. I'm just I'm seeing it for the first time here. He's barefoot. Well, that is a big toe, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. I wonder how. So, oh, wait, Joe. Is there a crab next to that toe? Yeah, there's a literal crustacean there. That's what I was trying to tell you. Oh. <laughs> you should have said the other lobster crate. I wasn't looking at that lobster crate. Oh, <laughs> okay. geez, that's all the way in the foreground. Yeah, there's a pink crustacean there. Oh, okay. Oh, there's some more in the cage, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Joe, now I have another question. Yeah. Why isn't that Pete Crustacean wearing a sport coat? Well, as you, as you, as you can see, the, uh, the conjunction there, it's a conjunction rather than a preposition. Uh, I'm familiar so with not... the junctions. Yeah, the junctions, yes. they've got railroads, they stick schedules, they've got functions. They're used to connect, they're used to connect uh, noun phrases. So the two noun phrases here are white sport coat and pink crustacean. So it's not a white, it's not a a pink crustacean in a white sport coat. It's a white sport coat and oh. a That's a grammar, grammar. Okay. Gotta pay attention. Yeah. yeah, I missed that part. Huh, well, I actually have some notes for this album, actually. Um, mm -hmm. I'm gonna start with the title. It should mm -hmm. probably be in and not and, don't you think? white sport coat in a pink crustacean? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you go. So the, the crustacean ate the sport coat? Uh-huh. Okay. No, they can't digest uh, uh, synthetic fibers and that's all polyester. Right. That would have been clear. That would have been much clearer, yes, if he had, yeah. if he had said that. Yeah. I, see, I thought I understood this album, but now I don't know. I got to throw out all these notes. Sometimes you got to have a fresh set of eyes, you know, looking at the cover so that they can finally, like, you know, identify the crab that had been on this album cover that you presumably have seen many times before I well, saw it. Sorry, Joe, I didn't get a, a master's degree in Where's Waldo like you did. <laughs> okay. Spotting every pink crustacean in sight. Oh, yeah. man. Well, Joe, um, I think you might need to check on your wife and uh, I need to go to the bathroom because I think it's time for a commercial break. Are you looking for a high fantasy Dungeons & Dragons podcast? Well, look no further. Point of Inspiration is a new D&D podcast where you can follow four unlikely companions as they adventure their way through a homebrew campaign. 
To experience Point of Inspiration, you don't even have to listen to a whole episode to get a peek at the shenanigans. Check out our Twitter and Instagram at poipoddnd, that's P-O-I-P-O-D-D-N-D, to get updates on when we release new episodes, and our hilarious content creators will surely woo you into checking it out. Come join us on Point of Inspiration, a Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. Well, Joe, um, we are here to discuss the album A White Sport Coat and A Pink Crustacean, 1973. Um, We have a couple of facts to start this thing off. First of all, this thing topped out at number 43 on the country top 200 for Billboard. Um, Had a couple of singles that uh, got up there. Um, One of them was Grapefruit, Juicy Fruit, hit number 23 on the easy country listening chart. And the Great Filling Station Holdup hit number 58 on Hot Country Singles, uh, which is now not a billboard chart, but an advertisement on an adult website. Hot Country Singles. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> they lost the, Uh-oh. They lost the, they lost the, uh, the naming rights to that. So, uh, Joe, um, we're about to go through this track by track as we are wont to do. Um, and as I get this queued up, is there anything you want to say to preface our, uh, our little adventure? Yes. Yeah, I have a, I have a, a, a something that I want, or a, a fact about this album that I think it's important to, uh, to present before we, uh, we start listening to it, which is that it was recorded uh, at the studio of Tom Paul Glazer, who, uh, which is in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, he is a very famous um, singer uh, from what we, from uh, the Outlaw Country School of Country Music. So we talked last week about like Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, Mm -hmm. uh, Willie Nelson, the other Outlaw Country singers. So that's gonna be a really important uh, thing to remember as we were listening to this, because there's a huge Outlaw Country connection uh, in, in this in this album, which we see right off the bat in the Great Filling Station holdup. Indeed, and as I get this thing going here, um, well, sort of a companion song to where we left off last time. Yeah. I pulled into the regular pump, I was feeling quite at ease. I rolled down the window and told the man, 50 cents worth please. Then I jumped my partner with his trusty pellet gun. I said, boy, this is a hold up. Keep a pump in and don't run. And now I wish I was somewhere other than here. Down in some honky-tonk, sipping on a beer. Yes, I wish I was somewhere other than here. Cause that great filling station hold up. Well, Joe, I mean, this yeah. is a strong start, in my opinion. Uh, companion song yeah. to Down to Earth's last track, uh, Truck Stop uh, Salvation. Oh, um, I didn't even think about that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would and, say, uh, in this song, in this song, I would say, because we talked about the outlaw country, how he, how Jimmy Buffett was probably very influenced by a lot of the, the great outlaw country singers. I would say quite in a bit song, of time in Austin, Texas, in 1972, yeah. talking to a lot of those guys, yes. So I would say that he is actually creating what I would call a sub-genre of outlaw country in this track and in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an upcoming track, which I'm gonna call low stakes outlaw country. 
which is outlaw country in which both the crime and the consequences are, are very minor. We can call it misdemeanor country music. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, he did two years for that holdup. I don't know if that's misdemeanor. Yes, but I think the total value of the stuff he stole was like, was very, was very low. Yeah, I mean, uh, this has definitely uh, got some Nashville sound. I think it's referential to it. I think yes. that it's marketable that way. Um, uh, it's uh, fun. Uh, matter of mm -hmm. fact, this song, the demo for it, is what he played uh, to a man by the name of Don, not Lemon. Come on, Cameron. Don. Don Knotts? Mm, no, Don Knotts did end up uh, pushing it, getting him over the hump for this album, though, too. Don um, Draper? Don White. Oh, and I was thinking of Don Jones. Oh. Anyway, there's a lot of Dons. Uh, Don yeah. Draper would have been interesting. Um, no, Don White was a uh, gospel uh, 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 music guy and uh, really liked oh. Jimmy Buffett. It was one of the first big guys to believe in a good old Jimmy. And it was this song we did it for. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really fun song. And, he, and again, it's like a statement of purpose songs. He's saying like, okay, we're done with that, you know, super earnest singer, songwriter, folk stuff. We're, we're, we're having some fun now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think That's the right. title and, and the first track on this song kind of established that. Also a strong intro, which was actually a theme of this album. I, I loved the intros in a lot of these songs, um, mm -hmm. including this next one. Joe, are you ready for Railroad Lady? I'm ready. So before I hit play, remember, Jimmy Buffett, Coral Reefer Band, we're getting congas for the first time, still got plenty of pedal steel guitar. Right, so it's a little bit of crossroads, bridging the Jimmy sound, right? Listen to how this one starts. It's a train whistle. Oh, I get it. This is Railroad Lady, guys. She's a railroad lady, just a little bit shady, spending her days on the train. She's a semi-good looker, but the fast rails they took her. Now she's trying, just trying to get home again. South Station in Boston to the freight yards of Austin. From the front. I'm actually going to fade this out a little bit here. And I want to mention a couple of things here. First off, nobody else can see this, but the video we're watching is like some kind of like train enthusiast uh, uh, photo gallery. Uh, yeah. And uh, combined with this song makes me a little bit, uh, well, it makes me a little uncomfortable, Joe. I, I think that this person might have a thing for, for trains. Um, but one thing I wanted to <laughs> He's say- He's a bigger fan of trains than he is of this song. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Um, one yeah. thing I wanted to point out is that there's some excellent, excellent, excellent work from a man with the nickname Fingers. Oh. The Reefer band, who I, I think is a really essential part of the Jimmy Buffett sound, playing harmonica, um, and I think we might be able to catch them here. He could own her. Okay. Bought her a fur and a big diamond ring. She hocked him for cold cash. How about that? Did you catch all that harmonica throughout this album? I did get the harmonica. Yeah, um, Railroad Lady. It's not a bad song, however. Oh. This is a candidate, I think. And I had trouble with it this, this time around when I was trying to identify the song which ages the most poorly. Mm. And I think this, this one might be a candidate. 
Yeah. Uh, not because it sounds dated so much. I don't think any of the songs on this album like sound particularly like of their time. But I just wrote on the notes here, like, what what is this archetype based on? Like he's he's referencing some kind of a of a character archetype mm-hmm. of like a woman who you know rides the rails and uh, maybe like takes advantage of of, of men. Um, used to used to get by. Used to yeah yeah. So she's like an aging uh, an aging woman who is is no longer able to sustain this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So that was clear, but I don't know, like, I'm not familiar with, like, this type of an archetype. Yeah, I, I this kind of goes back to uh, Jimmy's representation writing about women. Um, mm-hmm. Real quick fun fact, uh, his mother's name was Peets. P-E-E-T-S, which is a really cool name. Was that um, the name on her birth certificate? Uh, it was. It was her surname, though. Uh, huh. What was her first name, Joe? Amanda. Amanda Peets. Hey, I see what you did there. Um, no, uh, I don't know what her first name was. She just went by Pete's the whole time. Um, Way to so set that up once again. Once again, <laughs> set it up strong. Pete's Buffett. Yeah. Um, but uh, she was a, a big educator. She was actually one of the first uh, uh, female executives in her industry, working on a mm. shipyard as a uh, general manager eventually, but initially a uh, equal employment coordinator in the 60s. Wow. Um, so he had examples know. growing up of like strong, independent women. Absolutely. Um, big education ag- advocate as well. But this particular one was inspired by a 1972 road trip on which uh, Jimmy Buffett and Jerry Jeff Walker, who wrote the song and is part of the Coral for Band, uh, were on a train um, getting blasted on rum uh, and mm-hmm. yelling out of the train because they're a bunch of hooligans. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this railroad lady, who was a semi-good looker and all these things, um, she uh, helped them out by sharing the trolley menu with them. Okay. All right. By the way, he, I did a very he immortalized her in this song. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and for anybody who's like, "Hey, I read that book that you read too," and that's not how it went, uh, you're probably right. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Uh, yeah. but, uh, you know, the alternative to the inspiration for this song might have just been uh, like <laughs> like a schematic map map of an Amtrak uh, line. Uh, just because yes. half the lyrics are just. Uh, routes on Amtrak, so I don't know. <laughs> but, you it's know, kind of better, a better rhyme this time. Mm. Uh, Boston and Austin is a much better rhyme than Fargo and Chicago. Hey, 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 hold so on now. He's getting a little you bit better here. with your excellent uh, uh, Chicago accent that, in fact, that was not a uh, slant rhyme. That was a true blue uh, Midwest accent rhyme. Uh, okay. <laughs> so that's, that's Railroad Lady. Uh, kind of a ballad. Actually, I thought it could go on uh, Cumberland. Personally, that's what it sounded like to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With the exception of some of the uh, instrumentation, which we know is a little bit different. Um, you ready for track three, Joe? I am ready. So this is "He Went to Paris." It's actually a very popular Jimmy Buffett song. It's on most of his compilations, um, mm-hmm. and it's, I, I guess, a fan favorite. Not um, one that I've admired over the years because it's a little bit slow. But you know, here we go. He went to Paris. takes a while this one he went to paris yeah looking for answers to questions that bothered him so 
He was impressive, young and aggressive, saving the world on his own. But the warm summer breezes, the French wines and cheeses, put his ambition at bay. Summers and winters scattered like splinters in four or five years slipped away. It's kind of amazing to think that this song is on the same album as the Peanut Butter Conspiracy. Right? Yeah, no, this, this, um, you know, I think what happened was Jimmy had like 60, 70 songs with demos mm -hmm. just written because he was just banging them out in the 70s. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they chose this one. Now, this again, this one became one of his enduring hits. So go figure. It wasn't even a single. I, I actually really liked this song. I thought it was beautiful. Uh, it had like a genuine emotional impact when I was That's listening true. to it. You know, it's like it's it's sincere. It's not just like, you know, a a because he does have some songs which sound kind of pretty, but there's not really much of an emotional center to them. And this one mm -hmm. I thought. It, it was it was really nice. Also, I'm not the only one who liked this song. Uh, Merle Haggard, uh, or not Merle Haggard, sorry, Waylon Jennings. Here's another mm -hmm. Outlaw Country connection. He actually uh, recorded a cover of this and released it on one of his albums uh, in the '80s. Well, how about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, this is a popular song. It's just never. Uh, I don't know. I, he does this song really well. Jimmy Buffett does, and I feel like there's a lot of. Uh, examples of it um you know one anecdote from jimmy buffett's life that might connect to this um mm -hmm. uh you know he, he talks about how this he he went to paris this titular he went to england at some point uh and he mm -hmm. kind of tells a story about that now it seems to be set around uh the interwar period because it's about how bombs killed this lady and we have to assume that was the bombing of london but um mm -hmm. it could also be about one of the mythical welsh ancestors of mm -hmm. jimmy buffett um uh, the first Buffett to come to the United States, as it is rumored, was himself an Englishman and a mariner of sorts uh, who settled in the South. Um, this would also be the closest living relative uh, in common, if you believe the stories, of Jimmy Buffett and Warren Buffett, who both attended a uh, Buffett family reunion in 2013 for all uh, heirs of the Buffett guy, uh, legitimate and otherwise. Wait, are they actually related to each other? You know, we'll never quite know, because uh, as we've established, um, this, uh, you know, Mariner Buffett from the 1800s, this Welsh uh -huh. fellow, um, well, he got around. Well, according here to, because there was actually a, an article about this song in particular, and again, it's Wikipedia, so this may be wrong, but it says mm -hmm. uh, that Buffett wrote the song about a musician named Eddie Balkowski, a one-armed veteran of the Spanish Civil War he met while playing in Chicago or Chicago. Uh, on on uh, the live album, You Had to Be There, he mentions this is his favorite song that he wrote. So this is a, a personal favorite of Buffett. And apparently it's about this guy that, that, that he knew who I guess lost an arm in the Spanish Civil War. Or... Or all that stuff you said. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I mean, who knows? Uh, who knows? Yeah, we'll never know. Uh, yeah. We certainly couldn't ask uh, Jimmy Buffett unless he were to come on the pod. Jimmy, right. we'd love to have you. Again, um, so many questions. Yeah. Um, but that's, he went to Paris. Now, this next track is another uh, enduring classic uh, of uh, Jimmy Buffett's. And it's one that I considered for the opening 
of uh, today's episode. This is grapefruit, uh, juicy fruit. Now, this, this one good. is one of my favorites, so we're going to let it play a, a good amount. Um, this is a sexy song. Oh, yeah, it is. A lot of good fingers action on this one too. Yeah. This is this is where I'm getting my first sip of margarita on this one. Oh, this is actually uh, well, we'll get to that. Grapefruit, a bathing suit, chew a little juicy fruit, wash away the night. We're going to go ahead and wait, just wait, 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 wait. for a second. But uh, grapefruit, juicy fruit. Oh, you missed one of the best lines. Why? Because I was talking over it, Joe? <laughs> yeah, I turned okay. down the music. Uh, skipped over. This is this is why this was another candidate. This song was another candidate for my uh, songs that age the most poorly. Um, because at one point in the song, he says, driving, guzzling gin, Mm, sounds like Sunday. I don't know. What are you endorsing? Therefore, he's endorsing uh, uh, drunk driving in this what? song. He would. Well, we got. Hold on. We gotta hear that again. Just make sure. You guzzle gin, a little more to see. It's good for the soul. You know it gets so. And never ever leave you, leave you at home all alone and crying ten feet. That's a good song, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good That's song. Good and I'll even forgive him for uh, beckoning us to all commit a little mortal sin, telling us it's good for the soul. Because yeah. uh, it's just so damn catching. Now, that next uh, verse that we faded out on is talking about uh, ten speed. Do you know what that's referenced to? It's got to be a reference to a 10-speed bicycle, right? Well, uh, you would be correct if there were not a dog by the name of Sir Raleigh 10-speed, which was the dog <laughs> of one of his bandmates, who was a very good friend of Jimmy Buffett's cat, Radar. Um, that's, a great, that's a great name for a dog, isn't Sir it? Raleigh 10-speed. It's a fantastic name, yeah. Um, it's also uh, one, the first of uh, two references to 10-speed bicycles in this album. Um, mm -hmm. Now, Joe... Uh, we have not gotten to the song that was inspired by uh, his uh, first night in Key West yet. So you're still in the game here. Um, uh, now, this next track here, uh, we did uh, choose to open with it. This one uh, features a couple of things in the introduction that I want to highlight before we get into it. Um, first of, all, first of okay. all, just like the last song, excellent use of the conga drums, um, mm -hmm. uh, something that becomes a mainstay of uh, Jimmy Buffett's sound. Um, but also, I want you to listen for the uh, Grito Mexicano uh, applied here, and you tell me what you think of it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, 
I'm in favor of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Billy Voltaire was a piano player up from Miami way. He used to play in the bars. He could sound like the stars. Ladies would pay and pay. One night he did wind up. Now we got lots to say about this song, and so I'm yeah. gonna let it warm up a little bit here because it does get good here in about ooh, 25 more seconds. Um, but Joe, any quick thoughts on this one? I'm in favor of everything that's going on musically in this song. I think the, the Coral Reefers are really distinguishing themselves on this album. Yeah, no, I, I agree. This this uh, particular song is great. Um, uh, and if, you know, if it were recorded today, maybe the, the Greek toast might've been a little bit appropriative, but this is Jimmy Buffett. Again, he defines uh, national boundaries. He defines musical oh, genres. Man. This is like, here we go. It's just a human crime of passion. It's a super up-tempo song about a murder-suicide. It is. It is indeed a super upbeat song about a murder-suicide. And, and in that way, sort of remind me of, like, um, the shared country and blues tropes um, about murder and, and mm -hmm. uh, going to prison and things like that, but with a more upbeat Cuban flavor. Um, yeah, this is, this, is a, this is a dark song that you can dance to. Hell yeah. And that's what Cuban crimes of passion are all about. A little bit, a little bit racially problematic, though, when he's saying uh, that Cuban crimes of passion are, what is it, messy and uh, old fashioned, -fashioned <laughs> with with lots of slashing. <laughs> well, he's painting you think the he's Cubans typing Cubans in some way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's painting the Cubans here with a little bit of a broad brush. Well, I mean, look, they're all vicious, vicious in their murders. What we will say. <laughs> I think there's a couple of problematic things happening here. Yeah. Um, one of them is that uh, the uh, woman uh, character in the song named Marita um, mm -hmm. is described first as uh, half woman and half child, uh, mm -hmm. which he doesn't expand that point, leaves a lot up to the imagination. I'm not particularly comfortable with the phrasing, especially in 2020. Um, one thing I will mention is that Jimmy Buffett first got into playing guitar because of the ladies, uh, seeing mm -hmm. one of his uh, fraternity buddies at Auburn University, where he went initially and then dropped out, uh, playing two out of three chords of a song uh, that was popular, uh, and then had him teach him those two chords. Um, that's how I Jimmy think, Buffett I think that's how every dude gets into playing guitar, right? That's right. Um, and uh, he also started on the college circuit because after he dropped out of Auburn, he was on a road trip back to New Orleans, uh, stopped in a little town uh, called, hmm, in my notes, something, 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 Pearl River. Yeah, Pearl River. Mm -hmm. uh, and he saw a real pretty lady. So what do you do when you see a pretty lady, Joe, in a strange town that you're a bit? Uh, just trust that she's unattached and go home with her. Well, Joe, uh, Jimmy Buffett had the same thought in mind because he followed her. He followed her all uh, great, great minds that like. All the way to Pearl River Community College. And then he realized, 
well, shit, I'm going to have to sign up for some classes. So he did. He signed up for two classes, took two night classes, uh, photography and quote unquote use of library. Go figure. <laughs> library science. Yeah, that's, I think that's still a major. Um, and uh, he uh, then uh, just lived in New Orleans, uh, partied it up. There he met his first wife, wife maybe, who might have been a call girl. We don't know. Um, never so, found <laughs> I want to go back to the title, the, the course title, Use of Library, because I was thinking <laughs> may, maybe it's like a library science course, like that people take to become librarians, or it may just be like an introductory course for freshmen to just teach them how to use the library. <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know, because you know who can't tell us about those times? Who? James William Buffett, that's who. Um, the third. Well, unless we have him on um, the pod. Unless we have him on the pod, by the way, Jimmy. Love to have you on the pod. Yes. Um, well, Joe, um, I got to say, look, we got track one. So mm-hmm. fun. Track two and three. Good ballads. He went to Paris. All-time classic. Grapefruit, juicy fruit. Hit single. Cuban crime and passion. Fun song about tragedy. Yeah. with some really cool transnational rhythms. And we get to the end of the first side of this album. And we get to a song. Well, Joe, what's the name of this song? Why don't we get drunk? And then something in parentheses. Hmm. Looks like I can't get that sound clip I want, folks. Joe, uncancelable. Uh, but here is another big time classic song. Why don't we get drunk? Screw? Whoa. <laughs> That's good. He, he said it, not me, folks. <laughs> I really do appreciate the fact you're sitting here. Your voice sounds you, so wonderful, but your face don't. Look too clear. Oh, let me check my connection. Bar made bring a picture. I can hear another you. Oh, okay. Honey, why don't we get drunk and screwed? <laughs> what? Jimmy! Don't we get drunk and screwed? Oh, my goodness. They can't Cameron, I love a song with a message. <laughs> what? So I had a hard time interpreting this one, Joe. I actually, I wanted to ask you about that because um, we were talking last time about how you had some trouble picking up on the double entendres in songs like uh, <laughs> Mile High in Denver. This one, uh-huh. what did what did what did 11-year-old Cameron think when he heard this song for the first well, time? Well, let me tell you, uh, 11-year-old Cameron knew what screwing was, okay? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I knew I had known for uh, some years now about the old birds and the bees, as they say. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is one thing in the song that uh, was confusing then and is confusing now. Joe, mm-hmm. what's a snuff queen? I was wondering the same thing myself. I, 
I don't know what a snuff queen is at all. And we may need to do some research and add an addendum to the next episode. I think that'll be in the addendum for next episode because I sure don't know. Um, I think uh, for a while, I just was content with the idea that snuff queen was some old timey term for a, uh, like a, just a sort of promiscuous lady. Yeah. Uh, which would make contextual sense. But then again, the word snuff usually refers to like murder acts. So I don't know. Or snuff like, uh, isn't that like a, a term that they use for like Snort chewing tobacco? tobacco? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it could be. Yeah. I think like snuff was like an old timey way to take stimulants. Speaking of uh, Jimmy Buffett was addicted to Escatrol, a weight loss stimulant uh, amphetamine uh, in the sixties. And uh, while he was in New Orleans. So um, a couple of things about this song. So obviously this is a big hit of his, right? He, he plays this one like at every live show. Yes, it's a big fun one. At the time, I think it was problematic because it sounds like a good old country twangy Nashville sound song, and then it gets to Anne it sounds like goes, oh, what? It sounds like Hank Williams, like you were talking about yeah. last week about how he gets in a little Hank Williams sound. This is definitely sounds like a Hank Williams song. Also, it seems like a, a big sing-along song. Like I would imagine if I was at a Jimmy Buffett concert listening to this song that everyone would be singing along to it, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the easiest ones to remember the lyrics to, I'll tell you that much. Right. Also, um, I I, want to say that uh, I really appreciate, like we talked about how Jimmy Buffett is very problematic when it comes to gender issues. Mm -hmm. Right. And and we've seen examples on on just about every album we've listened to of, of, of kind of problematic depictions of women and relationships between men and women. However, I would say that this song is me too friendly. I don't think Jimmy Buffett would get canceled for this song because this is a song in which a man is asking for consent from mm-hmm. a woman before they get drunk. Now, Joe, there is some question here of the way that alcohol can play into consent, but yes. by 1970 standards, this is the most consensual thing that happened all year. I mean, we have to presume, I guess, that they were not already drunk before he made the suggestion that they get drunk and screw. But I mean, I appreciate that like the song wasn't called Now That We've Gotten Drunk, Let's Screw. I mean, that would be problematic. <laughs> <laughs> he could have just as easily written that song. That was a first didn't. draft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, this is a this is a classic song. It speaks for itself. I do have some questions also about the use of waterbeds. I understand that they were popular in the seventies. Yeah. Um, it's it really feels like a nightmare to be that drunk and then trying to screw on a waterbed. <laughs> I don't know how that could possibly be. I also liked how that was part of the, that was part of the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> if you're not convinced, I have a waterbed. How about you slosh around and get the spins real quick on my waterbed? So, also another thing about this song. He has like over the course of like live performances, he's modified the lyrics of the song uh, to adjust with the times. Are you aware of this? I'm not. What are the okay. adjustments? You're, is it you're gonna you like this. Get okay. Drunk and fuck or what? <laughs> no, no, it's you're, you're gonna like this. Okay, so um, first in the '90s, Buffett modified the lyrics to include references to using condoms and getting a designated driver. Oh, Jimmy. Look at you. <laughs> so he wanted his, his fans to be responsible. He didn't want to think that he was endorsing unprotected sex or drunk driving. So you see, we've, we've come a long way from, he evolves past the, you know, drive-in guzzle gin, uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy Buffett. 
Here's another one. And I think you'll appreciate this as someone who, who became a Buffett fan uh, at a young age. Uh, in the early 2000s, when he started noticing his fans bringing young children to, sh to, to shows, he, uh, he modified the lyrics to, instead of, why don't we get drunk and screw, uh, they be it became, why don't we get lunch in school? Oh, wow. Look at, look at Jimmy Doe. I, it's, you know, he is timeless. This is what this is. He's adaptable to every era. This certainly isn't the one that ages the worst. It might actually age the best. Um, Probably. Joe, I've just realized something. Yes. We promised our listeners we would stay under two hours and we are not yeah. setting a good pace here. We still got half the no. time. <laughs> I'll have less to say about these songs once we go, okay? It's just there's, there's okay. A, such great songs that there's so much to say about them. This is a really fantastic album. We're going to begin with the uh, side B, uh, first track on side B. This is uh, the Peanut Butter Conspiracy. Not to be confused with the Great Peanut Butter Solution, a Canadian film about a boy who gets the fright and has uncontrollable hair growth and is then caught in a school-based slave labor operation. Looking back at my hard luck days, I really do have to laugh. Working in a dive for $26, spending it all on draft. We were hungry, hard luck. Trying just to stay alive We go down to the corner grocery This is how we survive Who's gonna steal the peanut butter? I'll get the can of sardines Running up the mountain I of the mini mart Sticking food in our jeans We never took more than So Joe, Cameron, there's a lot you, of really Did you go to... Did you go to radio DJ school to learn how to like time an, an intro to a, a song? <laughs> you did that perfectly. You did that perfectly. For all of as you soon here, as you stopped talking, he started singing. Joe, I've listened to this a few times today. It was only a 38 minute album, uh, which uh -huh. was the perfect length for it, I think. Um, and you Joe, were practicing how to, how to introduce it? Yeah, my neighbors are so mad at me. They know everything yeah. about this album now. Um, Joe, um, this is a song about breaking into a gas station, ransacking it for peanut butter and sardines. Now, we learned two yeah. lines after that, that sardines exists in this, uh, not because it's necessarily a true story, but because it does rhyme with the word jeans. So, Joe, yeah. if you and I were robbing a mini mart uh -huh. for survival, for food, and I went and said, I got the peanut butter. And I said, you need to get me something that rhymes with jeans. Uh -huh. What would you grab? Uh, tangerines. Ah, see, now see. that's a that's a better combination than sardines and peanut butter. It's too much salt. Too much salt, guys. Sardines and peanut butter don't go together. Tangerines do. Or, or Jimmy yeah. Dean's. As in the well, Jimmy okay. Dean's. This is something I wanted to talk about. The, the Jimmy Buffett rhyming. Because um, we've seen examples of this already. <laughs> and we're going to see examples of it in the future of how Jimmy Buffett is kind of a lazy rhymer, but sometimes in his rhyming, he gets artistic in his laziness. Like for mm -hmm. example, on an, a song we talked about previously on this album, Grapefruit, Juicy Fruit. Um, he rhymed fruit with fruit, but- uh, And you're not, oh. you're not supposed to. Mm. You're not supposed to rhyme a word with itself, 
but I didn't actually realize he had done that until I listened to the song a few times because <laughs> grapefruits and juicy fruit gum are two different things. Very Although different. he's he's still rhyming fruit with fruit. Well, hmm. I mean, I look. I, he's grapefruit is one word. Juicy fruit mm -hmm. is two words. So he's really rhyming grapefruit with fruit. And look, those are two different words, Joe. So right. uh, they are two different words. Yeah. I mean. I know that he's a little bit on thin ice with Chicago Fargo, but uh, again, we're finding explanations for all of his artistic genius all over the place. Um, Joe, in the interest of time, I think I'm ready to move on, even though this is a fantastic song. One of my favorites of the album. Another great example of low stakes misdemeanor country music. And he said he'd pay him back once they had the money. Yeah, they're, 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 not, they're, they're not trying to, they're just trying to survive. Just right, staying alive. Um, they spent all their money on Drax, whatever Drax is. I thought it was drafts, like draft beers. Oh, oh yeah. He worked at a bar and he was spending it all. I, I heard Drax, like it was an X, but I guess, yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> some, some designer drug from the early 70s, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, this one is track number eight, They Don't Dance Like Carmen No More. Great opening here too, by the way. Yeah. Walking down New Street, music is loud. Neon signs bring in tumultuous crowds. But I'm just an old man, I'd probably get sore. Cause they don't dance like Carmen no more. And there's a lot of stuff we could do with this song, but uh, mm -hmm. we're going to keep it moving here. Uh, they Don't Dance Like Carmen No More, another song about a uh, ostensibly uh, Latina woman, also featuring Marvin Gardens on this track. Yeah, we didn't talk about Marvin Gardens. The... Yeah. So first of all, he's, the, uh... he's, singing about Carmen, he's singing about Carmen Miranda, right? The, the famous Brazilian uh, dancer. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we all know who that is, Joe. Why don't you explain to the listeners? Well, okay, the only reason I know. So okay, so Carmen Miranda, she was like a famous uh, dancer from the '50s, and she was from Brazil, and she was famous for for dancing with like giant uh, bouquets of fruit on her head. And the only reason I know who Carmen Miranda is is because uh, they used to parody her on Looney Tunes, like, like when Bugs Bunny would do like dance performances with fruit on his head. And I didn't even catch it until maybe like the third or fourth time I had heard the song where he was talking about the fruit, like the mangoes and bananas that he would, she would put on her head. I was like, oh, okay, he's talking about Carmen Miranda. And oh. that gets me into like the, one of the big themes of this album, we talk about like common themes, is uh, fame and legacy. If you notice listening mm. to this album, a lot of these songs are about like people who have either passed on or they've become irrelevant or they're, or he himself is singing about his own legacy. And I think mm -hmm. this is a, a really good example of like, this is a person who is really famous. She was probably really important to Jimmy Buffett when he was young, but now she's kind of becoming forgotten. Uh, of course, you and I both know who she is, right? Uh, obviously, huge, huge yeah. fan of- uh, Huge of, Carmen Miranda Miranda, yeah. Well, no, I, I got to be honest. Well, first time I heard this song, um, when he made the reference to the big hat and the dancing and a woman named Carmen, I was like, well, he's obviously talking about the only Carmen I know with the big hat, who's Carmen Sandiego. 
Um, right. <laughs> and uh, before she became a spy or whatever, she was obviously a dancer. Um, there's also a funny line in here where he says, uh, and I'm just an old man, I'd probably get sore, but they don't dance like Carmen no more. Uh, Jimmy Buffett was in his mid-20s when he wrote this song. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, this is going to become a theme that we'll see in the next coming albums, especially with the song called uh, Pencil Thin Mustache, which is another big hit of his. Um, he mm-hmm. makes references that are before his time in a similar way. Uh, uh, well, I won't say it. No, I make this podcast political. Um, but he does have a way of making himself sound older than he is. And we have to remember that although he has recorded over five decades worth of songs, uh, he was only about 20 when he wrote this. Um, he was anticipating, he was anticipating like being a 70 year old man playing giant stadiums. And he's like, well, I still want to sing the song as an old man, but I want to, I want to anticipate that now as I'm recording it in my 20s. Yeah. In between uh, all night bingers and all of the drugs, he had this real sense of future self development. Yeah. <laughs> out for him. Um, yeah, and my fans will appreciate my fans who don't know who Carmen Miranda is now will really appreciate it 50 years from now. That's what I'm right. thinking yeah, about her. Everybody knows that as you age older, you also uh, increase the uh, number of years back that you were born until it makes sense that you would know who, known who Carmen Miranda was firsthand. Um, Joe, yeah. uh, he says, take it, Marvin, on this song. And we hear excellent, excellent uh, Maracas solo. So Marvin Gardens. Also, it turns out Marvin Gardens is who wrote Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw. So who is this Marvin Gardens, Joe? Yeah, I was, I was curious about that. Well, we'll never know. Unless, have you seen Jimmy Buffett and Marvin Gardens in the same room? You know, now that you mention it, I don't think I have. Mm-hmm. So I think we might have solved it, folks. Jimmy Buffett is Marvin Gardens, and you can take that all the way to the Monopoly board. Um, Joe. I didn't mention this on track six, mm-hmm. but you were not correct on your initial prediction that that anecdote about his first night in Key West was about, why don't we get drunk and screw? Uh, obviously Uh-oh. because Marvin Gardens wrote that song, Jimmy Buffett didn't. The song that was inspired, that, uh, that experience inspired was in fact this next song called I Have Found a Home. So uh, like the first night, the first night that he got drunk in in Key West and blacked out and woke up in a strange woman's apartment. And his first thought waking up was, I have found me a home. Yeah. Well, his first thought was, I need more alcohol to get this terrible hangover (laughs) out of me. And then as he was sitting on the back of the conch train, he decided to write this song. And I've got some more fun facts about the conch train. I'm going to live on this train forever. I'm going to become a railroad man. I have found (laughs) me a home. He sure has. They don't have None of the streets here look the same. There's so many quiet places. Smiling eyes match the smiling faces. And I have found me home. I More great work from Fingers on the Harmonica there. Um, Joe, a couple of facts here. Um, on the back of the con train, sipping a jug of wine with this strange lady that he met the night before, he wrote this song. But the conch train was also a key figure in Key West. Um, in fact, just a few years prior to that, Key West was debating 
uh, purchasing the concentrate from the co private company that used it um, to make it a tourist destination. Um, and they wanted to do so at the expense of uh, perhaps updating their sewage systems that were overflowing and, and ruining themselves. Um, the conch train named after the conch people of uh, Key West who were considered sort of the quote unquote natives of Key West, although I believe the indigenous Key West uh, folks would not have been people of Bahamadian descent, but that is exactly who the conch people were, uh, folks living in Key West from the Bahamas or of Bahamas, Bahamadian descent. Um, it is also the name, Joe, I don't know if you know this, but Key West seceded from the union in 1983. Really? <laughs> It was 82 or 83. Yes, uh, CBP, Customs and Border Patrol, um, uh, closed Highway 1 uh, leading south from Florida to um, Key West. And in retaliation, uh, the Contra Republic was formed and they celebrate their Independence Day every April 23rd. <laughs> I have to ask my uh, my aunt and uncle about that because I, I have an aunt and uncle who used to live in Key West. And so I guess they were Whoa! living in a foreign country uh, at That's that right. time. Well, they found well, that they... just like Jimmy. Yeah. Where are they, is Key West still not like, do they <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not sure about how long did that secession last? I'm not sure, but they still celebrate Independence Day. I know that. Okay. Yeah. I like the idea that they're still uh, seceded from the Union personally, making them not the southernmost city in the United States because they are not formally a part of the United States, folks. So, Joe, are you ready for our penultimate track on this solid album? Yes. And this is a track um, inspired by Margie, the first and uh, uh, not last wife of uh, old James Buffett. Um, this is My Lovely Lady. saying about fame um here mm -hmm. my lovely lady i think is inspired by margie's first wife so do you think mistaken. that uh, she decided to divorce him when he revealed on an album that she can eat her weight in crab meat <laughs> i don't think she was half so embarrassed because she uh like we said was a woman of many talents uh, not only a, a professional in the music industry later on but uh like we said a high price call girl perhaps i don't know there might have been an overlap that i missed i didn't read that that biography very close i was just reading it because i started reading it two days ago and i wanted to be prepared for this podcast and they wouldn't get to the part where they said print consideration they, they had a white sport coat on mm -hmm. so i didn't know where to stop so i just kept going <laughs> um in terms of its overall place in the album i i this was a nice breakup a much more energetic song than the prior two um, uh, especially that last one, um, which, you know, again, a fairly popular song, but uh, I just sort of like the little upbeat tempo here sort of at the end. Yeah, there's a lot of very sentimental songs. I mean, all the last four tracks are all very sentimental in their own way, but this mm -hmm. one is at least a little bit up-tempo. 
compared to the other three. And a little irreverent, you know, little talking way, about yeah. a, a woman's crab leg eating habits isn't necessarily uh, uh, encouraged in polite society, as they say. Um, mm -hmm. Joe, we are finally at our last track here. This is a uh, death of an unpopular poet, and I think we're going right back to the ballad. Live before his time. He and his dog Spooner listen while he'd Words to make you happy. Words to make you cry Then one day the poet Suddenly did die But he left behind So the song doesn't pick up much, much more from here. I don't know if you noticed that. I was kind of hoping, like, right at the end there, it was going to, you know, have a turn and get energetic and send us off with a good note because you know this is the mustache era we're ringing it in strong yeah and he gives us another this... cumberland jubilee style song yeah i mean the 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 story of the song is is engaging it's you know story the lyrics again, are back, over, yeah. yeah it's getting back to the theme of 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 fame and legacy you know because it's a song about it's a song about a guy who you know like many artists you always hear the story of the artist who his time and then becomes famous after he dies mm -hmm. and uh, and people profit off of that like his brother of course the biggest profiteer off of his own death of this poet's death is uh is his dog spooner who he wills probably 10 speed um uh, <laughs> i was trying to remember met, that name yeah yeah we met uh, uh coochie in the last episode um uh there's some famous dogs throughout the entirety um uh of this uh of this uh, discography and I'm, I'm worried now that i'm breaking up a lot and we're gonna miss some stuff but we'll find out let's see here joe i don't have a lot to say about this song no it's it's i mean it's definitely a song that you'd put on the back half of an album, right? Yeah, yeah. It's at the yeah. very end, too. I think this was sort of a punt. Um, Joe, I think it might be time for our ratings. Our margarita ratings, okay. I'm going to give this song, this album is A, because it's so short, and B, because there are so many strong tracks, particularly in, on side A, I'm going to call this a solid one margarita album. This is a, this is a single mm. margarita for me. I can enjoy mm. this album perfectly fine with one margarita. Yeah, you start mixing that one at the end of the uh, filling station holdup, and uh, it's ready by the time you're... Uh, Have that uh, first grapefruit margarita. Yes, on grapefruit juicy fruit. Yeah. Yep. And you can finish that thing over the next 30 minutes and feeling pretty good by the time you get to Death of Unpopular Poet. Um, yeah, no, I really like this album. It's a good Jimmy album. There's some really strong hits on here. Peanut Butter Conspiracy was a fantastic uh, uh, song that I didn't know prior to this. Um, I'm going to give it uh, a big kosher pickle. Mm. Well, and I think this, this song does also deserve a 10 speed. So yeah, mm -hmm. I'll give it a big kosher pickle and a 10 speed. 
Any pop tops? Oh, oh, oh. You know, no pop tops, but I think there is one blown flip flop just with the uh, last four tracks being kind of uh, heavy, you know, heavy ends yeah. to an otherwise fun album. Yeah, yeah. So half a blown pop top. No, wait, damn it. Half a blown flip flop, <laughs> uh, a 10 speed, and a big kosher pickle. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I want to say about that. Uh, I, 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 when, when he first presented the pop top flip flop thing to me, I didn't think much of it because I was so focused on getting the answers right. And it wasn't until after I, I listened back to the episode where I was thinking like, what on earth is a pop top? Is that a soda <laughs> bottle cap? <laughs> yeah, I believe that's pop- what he's, he's, he's insinuating, yeah. Okay, so my next question would be like, do people actually call bottle caps pop tops? I'm, I mean, you know, it's... It's Alabama speak. Who knows? You see, well, yeah, people, Chicago. people in the South don't call it pop. Only people in the Midwest call it pop. Jimmy Buffett, where are you from? <laughs> I'm thinking, you pretend you know to be a Midwesterner. <laughs> this is another Chicago example speak. of like, he's being really creative to try and make a rhyme work. And he may have invented the term pop top, in which case we're getting into like some Shakespearean level uh, you know, inventing words to make the rhyme or the meter work. Jimmy Buffett is a direct inheritor of the greatest of the Anglophone writers. Mm-hmm. If we begin that with the mythical King Arthur, obviously, who wrote about the round table, and we continue that forward in time, obviously, uh-huh. to um the man named Beowulf who was English. Who also wrote, wrote Beowulf. As we know, Beowulf wrote Beowulf and, and King Arthur. <laughs> King Arthur wrote yeah. his own legend. Yeah. Obviously that that tradition translated directly to William Shakespeare. Who wrote the novel who, Shakespeare. And gave all of his notes to his unfinished plays to one Mark Twain. Mm-hmm who then uh, possessed Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> he possessed, he owned Jimmy Buffett? Jimmy Buffett is Mark Twain. And oh. maybe Jesus. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were born on the same day. Yeah. Campbell, were you an English major? Because your, your, your knowledge of the history of, of English literature is... is uh, it's uncanny. I, I can't believe it. Look me up, folks. I am a published English literature historian. All right. Look at my paper from Beowulf to Buffett. <laughs> from Beowulf to Buffett, a direct lineage of Anglophone exceptionalism <laughs> by by Cameron Collins. And I believe that was published in the Harvard. And I believe that was published in the Harvard Review. Yes. Well, yes, okay. I mean, what do you think I'm going to go for? Yale <laughs> literature critique quarterly? <laughs> right? Subpar okay. literary journal, yes. <laughs> Third rate at best. Um, Joe, we've rated the album. We've discussed the album. We've listened to the album. I think it's time to sign off. Yes, we've talked about this album. And then once again, 
we did not pace ourselves well and we went way over time. Hey, we're working our way to an hour. This was only 90 minutes this time. Uh, but yes, uh, join us next time for Living and Dying in Three Quarters Time, another classic Jimmy Buffett album. Joe, we should figure out a better sign-off. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll have the harmonicas take us out right about now. Bye. Bye-bye.